I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. God's word. Amen. Grab your seats, guys. Uh, each one of you at one point likely has had somebody who has looked at your life and seen something special in you. For me, it was my teacher, Mrs. Goldenhagen. Uh, she was a, um, uh, an art teacher um, in Lebanon, Oregon at Crowfoot. And I was this problematic child from second grade on when they were like, this kid needs something. And it turned out to be real. And, um, and so, but I was very artistic and she was the first person who was like, oh, there can be a good side to this ADHD deal. And I remember her saying like, wow, I, I, I see something special in you. you. You thrive in this area. And after hearing and not knowing kind of what I was good at, it felt really good to see somebody go like, hey, I'm with you. And you know what? I'm actually going to take an extra little bit of time with you to help make in, what's in you better or bring it to its full potential. And so being aware that there was something that was actually worthy of investment from somebody else really helped me to go, man, maybe I have something to offer to the world. Uh, maybe for some of you that was a, uh, a, a certain subject of study or it was an athletic event or somebody taught you how to work on cars or they helped you succeed in baseball. Whatever it may be, I wonder, I think it's so important for individuals that are being formed for somebody to look them in the eyes, whether it's a parent, a coach, a teacher, a janitor, whatever, uh, and say, wow, there's something in you worth bringing out. The text today is talking about leaders People who are uh, entrusted with caring for people. And Paul is really concerned that the people in Philippi would have somebody that would invest in them for their best interest. Man, it is so difficult when we come to a text like this and we think about spirituality because in the last generation, we've seen lots and lots of people take authority entrusted leadership and use it not for the betterment of the church the flock but for their own ego for their own agenda to build their own kingdom and on the way to building kingdom oftentimes when the focus isn't the priority of christ and somebody uses the authority that's been given to them by christ they use it for self people get run over People become numbers and not names. People become statistics and not stories. People are one in a million instead of one of the millions of individuals Christ died for. And so when we lose focus, not merely of the fact that, that God is a personal uh, three persons in one Godhead, this personally knowable, individually you know, the Trinity, when we lose focus of who he is as knowable, relatable, and personable, it's all too easy to do the same thing with one another, where we just look at each other as background to our stories, extras to our movie, whatever you want to call it. 
and people in our life can move in and out, and it's all too easy to just treat people apart from their personhood. And that is dangerous ground, and that's why we're so determined to cultivate hearts that are tender to not just God, but others. That we would see others, acknowledging their value, their personhood, their individual story, their weight of glory in the sight of God, which makes them meaningful to me. That we would not just acknowledge that somebody has value, but we go, man, they have something to offer. I want to I listen to what they have to say, and I want to care about their lives, because God cares about their lives. And if I really listen and care and see a person, it will cause me to act in light of what I see. It will cause me to respond with a heart of care. And so we are people who are relatable, relational beings that are called to interact with one another. And Paul says we need to be careful. Not only in the poem of Christ where it says, uh, put not your needs ahead of those around you, but consider one another as more significant than yourselves, doing nothing from selfish ambition nor vain conceit. He says, listen, and the men in your life and women in your life who are leaders who have been placed there to cultivate you, to elevate you, to try and bring you to full blossom. God has given individuals. And myself, I, I have placed myself in a trust of, of different leaders in my life. I've trusted that they would work for my own best interest. And there have been more times where I've been let down and disappointed at the temptation that they went under of grabbing for power at the cost of myself, family, friends. And I'm certain that that's not an uncommon story. I was reading a book by Strawn Coleman this last year um, called Beholding, and he um, kind of talks about the idea that, that narcissism and selfishness and damaging personalities in the church, they don't seem the exception. It's all too common that people who are put in places of stages are people who are working an angle, not pure motives. And so it's uh, with that that James, the brother of Jesus, says not many of you should become teachers <laughs> because you're going to be judged more severely. And so it's honestly with, um, yeah, with that sobriety that, that I opened the Bible today of just knowing that. Um, let's pray, and then we'll get into the Scripture. Lord, I know that I know that your heart breaks for the church gone wrong. Father, I know that everything in you desires to bring life, to encourage, not suppress. To build up, not tear down. To give, not take. So we just want to bring the reality, God, that we're, um, it's hard to trust, Lord. And so I pray that you'd give us wisdom as we open your word. And I pray that your spirit would be here, the spirit of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, Lord God, as we open your word, would we invite who you are to change and mend and give new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, I hope to send, um, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus, 
but you know Timothy, his proven worth, how as a son with the Father, as he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. Remember, Paul is in house arrest, wondering if he's going to be killed or set free. I will send him as soon as I figure out how it's going to go with me. And I, too, trust that in the Lord, I, too, shortly will, uh, I ha- sorry, I myself will come also. Paul starts this conversation with, I know I'm absent. And so there's a flock of God's people, often used uh, the language of like sheep in scripture, that individuals and sheep, this is not a derogatory term. This is uh, a term of commonality. It's a term of like uh, what they would have in their backyard. This is uh, equivalent to something local in our area where you would have, um, I don't even know, like target, right? It's, uh, it's similar, only slightly different. So the sheep are dependent upon somebody to guide and direct them, not because they're weak or uh, in need in a particular way, but because they are designed to trust. They are designed to be cared for, to provide for, to follow, and to lead. And so he says, I want to send Timothy to you because I'm not there. I'm stuck. I'm in prison. All I can do is write you a letter. But as I look around, I'm going to send you somebody who I know is going to care for you because I care for you deeply. Paul says, I have nobody like him. That is, uh, yes, it is rare that Timothy is like no other. But this language is of the same soul is what he's actually talking about here. No one like him is like, we have the same mentality. Timothy spent time with me. He was like a son to me. And if you remember language even in the last section of Scripture where we were talking about we would be seen as children of God as we carry out the character of God, he's talking in the same way about Timothy. So he's saying, you know my characteristics. He's been like a son to me. So as a son looks like a father, I'm going to send Timothy because he's the closest thing to me who's going to look after your needs above his own. And so we're going to have three different characteristics of a trustworthy leader. And I'm going to invite you to hold me accountable to these. Not just you, but we actually have a board that's actually, their, their, goal, their role is, um, it is stewardship of resources. So what do we have? And it is justice. I've said, hey, help me make the most of what we have. And I want you to look out for the body. If there's any mistreatment or somebody's getting overlooked, please tell me. And so in that way, we're trying to cultivate a community of goodness. One of our values, if you were to look at our website, um, it it shows that we are, uh, I believe it's Christ-centered or kingdom-centered. Forgive me, I I haven't looked in in a little bit. Um, It is, we are kingdom-focused. We believe that Jesus has taken the responsibility to build his church. He said, I'll build my church. We, therefore, have entrusted our church, that is Sparrow City, into the hands, uh, into his hands, preferring to elevate the name of Jesus rather than our own. We sacrificially seek the kingdom of God and grow and to, sorry, we seek to see the kingdom of God grow and thrive regardless of whether our church is acknowledged or benefited. Our aim is to introduce people to Jesus, not introduce them to the church. The reason we have this as one of our values is as we've looked and seen, one of the pitfalls of a church is to um, make a really slight exchange where they believe that they are called. And I'm going to talk about, I'll, I'll talk about pastor, pastors in general, but I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. If I start to confuse um, Sparrow City with the kingdom of God, and I start championing Sparrow City and talking about Sparrow City and selling Sparrow City and promoting Sparrow City and saying Sparrow City is the answer to the problem, do you see how that works kind of? but it also opens the door for some really poor uh, practices. Because then, if Sparrow City's the kingdom, then Richfield Nazarene is not, and X Church is not. And then it provides this space of like confliction, and that's not kingdom. And so intentionally, we're going, okay, yeah, we are Sparrow City, but that's just a description of us. Like, we are a, a materialization of the kingdom. Uh, I was looking for who wrote this uh, quote, but it's really been formative for me. It's, 
If you start by focusing on the church, you will not necessarily end up with the kingdom. So you can build a church that looks like a church, sounds like a church, does the church stuff, but doesn't have the kingdom happening within it. But if you start with the kingdom and you focus on the king, the king's ways, the king's loves, the king's passions, you will always end up with the church. You will always end up with the church. That's why Jesus says, seek my kingdom, I'll build my church. And so for us, there is a resilience that we just need to accept, that we're going to talk more about Jesus than we are about our unique like brand or name or person. Yes, I believe in everything we're trying to do here, but intentionally we are trying to focus primarily on Christ because we know that unless people are attached to Jesus, they're building their hope on shaky grounds. And no matter how hard I try or the other pastors or leadership try, there will be mistakes. And I'll do my best to say sorry really fast and curb my behavior. So uh, with that being said, our first thing for you to look at, if you're ever looking for a new church, which is going to happen, that's okay. Or you're moving places, or you're going to suggest a church for a friend, there are three things that I'm going to encourage you through the words of Paul to say these are really, really essential. The first one is leadership that has a sacrificial focus. That is kingdom mentality. We see this in Paul's words when he says, I hope to send Timothy to you. Verse 20, I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. But then we have this devastating but true statement, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. So my own interest would be to make you happy, to please you, to try and appease all of everything you want. I want to, it would make me want to say things that affirm what you want to hear from your pastor. It would drive me to want to agree with you politically, regardless of what scripture says. That's what would create safety for me. That's what would build a big church. We could do all the things that would please people, but that's not seeking the agenda of Jesus. That is seeking the agenda of man. And so we're not going to do it. And so if you're looking for a church or you're, uh, you're, you know, you're doing research, if, if the church speaks more about their kingdom, their name, or it's like all about a personality and it's a you know, building platform for that individual, influence is a big language that they, they will use, I would just say be careful because that's not sacrificial focus. A focus of a leader should be one that is pouring out to elevate Christ, not what they're building. Uh, I just finished this book called uh, When Narcissism uh, Comes to Church. I don't know if some of you guys have come across it or not, but um, it's more uh, damning information about the likelihood of, of unhealthy, selfish ambition. People seeking to build off of what God is doing for their own agenda. It's, It's sad. Just for your own understanding, narcissism is, uh, narcissistic personality is literally a disorder. Yes, uh, selfishness is common, it is the flesh, but there is dangerous personality traits that have found safety on some stages around the world. Characteristics of people who are there to take from you rather than to give to you are uh, people who may be suffering from something similar to this, Uh, which is they have an inflated sense of their own importance. They have a deep need for excessive attention or admiration. They consistently have troubled relationships. They lack empathy for others. But honestly, behind the mask of the extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. This is from the Mayo Clinic. This is a reality. And so oftentimes when you interact with somebody from this perspective, you leave feeling like you've done something wrong. Or you're around them and it just feels off. And so it's wise to be aware of kind of what you're sensing and to hold this idea of sacrificial focus. 
is this person laying down their life for the sake of Jesus? Honestly, it can be very difficult to um, identify. But kingdom orientation uh, is primary. It should be primary over empire-oriented. Men build empires. Jesus builds kingdom. And so I just encourage you to keep that in your mind. All right, verse 20. For I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. What a gift. What if there was a person in the world, and I, believe, I would like to say there is, I love you, um, who is genuinely, genuinely, like not pretentiously, genuinely concerned for your well-being, body, mind, soul, that there is like an unpolluted desire to see you thrive, that there's a heart that there is like, I, I, there's no agenda, there's nothing behind the scenes, there's just a genuine love from the Father. And I, I want more people to be able to have that experience. And I want to be that towards you. And so constantly, Lord, what are my motives? Even today, teaching, right? We could have a real blood fest. I know your stories. I know many of you have been through things. But I'm like, Jesus, how do I speak today in a way that doesn't um, seek my own agenda? But what is really going to serve the welfare of the people? And what is going to serve ultimately your kingdom? Jesus. And so understanding is what I want to offer you today. Just like a shared... It's hard. It's hard being in community. And you have a home here with us. All right. So um, the second thing I want to talk about from this text in verse 20 is sacrificial care. So the care of Timothy was that similar to Paul, as I said before. And we know how Paul has been very honest throughout this letter about, man, I, I pray that your wisdom would increase. Remember chapter 1, verse 9. My prayers that your wisdom would increase. Let me read it to you. It's so beautiful. It just shows his concern for them. Even at the opening of the letter. Well, I'll start at verse 8. For God is my witness. Sorry, Jake, you don't have this one. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. You see, the love of Christ is coming through Paul. It's, it's God's love pushing towards these people. And so there is a otherworldly love that Paul is like, yeah, I love you. Like, I like you as people, but there's something more going on here. That my soul moves when I see you, when I see you being brave and courageous, when I see you standing firm, when I see you struggling. There's something from eternity, the very heart of heaven, that is like driving me towards you. And for some of you who haven't been loved, that might be overwhelming. You might be like, I don't know if that's legit. Especially when my wife comes around, man, she loves like crazy. And it's beautiful. But I want you to know God's love is beautiful for you. But I also know that history makes us go, can I trust that? I get that. And some of us in this place, we need to relearn how to receive and my hope today is for me to say, hey, listen, I want to show you a few things that Paul says, there are some people who are worthy of your trust. Not everybody. Please, not everybody. But some people. Those who are others-focused, sacrificially focused, Christ-centered, they want God's best for you. They are not seeking their own welfare from you. They're looking for your welfare. When they talk to you, they're not trying to gain from you. They're just trying to serve you. And this is the heart of Jesus. I loved you with the very passion of Jesus. And to a world that is cynical and standoffish and distrusting and individualistic, like that's going to be really hard for you to receive what God has come to give you. And I wish that Jesus was here. I wish Jesus was your pastor. He showed up here every day and he was able to just like straight up, boom, 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 boom. But he has to move through me and through you and through each other. Okay? 
And sometimes it doesn't go perfect, but man, if you would just develop this hunger and thirst and this tenacity to try and pick out the love of Jesus amidst all the challenges and like, huh? So that we can really receive the love of God. Like we are the heart of God on earth, loving one another, caring for one another, offering this otherworldly, non-selfish, non-agended kindness and care. And it's an outpouring. Early on in our days, before we opened the doors of this church, we were talking about the simplicity of loving God and loving others. Oh, that sounds so nice. And then we were like, oh, but that, that kind of love, the love of Jesus, that, that leads to the cross. <laughs> that kind of love is sacrificial. It'll, it'll kill you. Are we a people who are willing to pour ourselves out in order to demonstrate the love of Jesus to one another? Oh, it, it may not be us risking life and limb. It may not be us jumping in front of bullets, whatever. I hope not. It may just be small acts of kindness where we choose to stop scrolling and instead uh, write a letter of encouragement. Or it may be us uh, prioritizing what we sense God doing and give up one of our evenings to be able to invite someone to our home. Or it may be us befriending uh, people who are outside of our normal functioning world so that we're able to offer up the very heart of Jesus to those who have no access to it. Paul says, I, I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Man, I, I want that to become normalized, where we just become aware of our, uh, our agenda and our ulterior motives, and just like, God, to the best of our ability, can we just have uncomplicated love for one another? No strings attached kindness, where we just want people to encounter Jesus. Man, that we would be a church like that, a church that would be formed like the heart of Christ, that we would be like Paul who let God's love pour through him, that we would be like Timothy who was of the same soul as Paul and Jesus, who genuinely was concerned for the welfare of those who he was caring for, sacrificially caring for one another. This is a good sign. If you find a, a church that you're looking at, it's going to be hard to identify this because there should be a lot that's happening that your leadership does that they never talk about on a Sunday that they don't do on the clock, that they are genuinely just disciples, that they're not career Christians. And I know that's hard. The church has kind of created this thing where it's more of like a career path for some people to be a pastor as opposed to a calling. I'd be curious about the leadership. At what time have they continued to be leaders, carers, shepherds when their jobs have not been present? Because when you lose the benefit of the position, that's what will really tell you if they're called or if it's a career. Do you know what I mean? And it's probably similar for some of you where you've had job changes, where you've lost fellowship at a church and you continue to hold fast to Jesus. You continue to love your children, raise them, seek a community where you could be known and loved. What doesn't change within us when all else changes? is who we are in Jesus. And I love that God is birthing a community of people who are experiencing the care of Jesus. I do believe that each week God is ministering to your hearts. He's ministering to my heart that we are being revitalized and renewed after His Spirit, that we are bringing, uh, receiving healing because the world needs, as one author said, wounded healers. Those who sometimes need to be healed themselves and those who often are offering healing to others. Because Jesus was the wounded healer. The one who embraced with our pain and engaged with the suffering, yet he continued to have outstretched arms and allowed others to benefit from his suffering. And Paul invites the same of leaders and followers. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2.17. Because he kind of touches on this strange pattern. 
He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Paul is willing to, he's, he's in picturing himself like a glass and his life is what's in the glass. And he's like, I am willing to just pour it out on you. If only that will actually bring growth and bring to your life what God has been beckoning out. If that'll help you be fruitful, if that'll help you become everything God designed you to be, if that'll help you offer your life more fully to Him, I will pour myself out on your life for your sake. Man, I don't want a pastor like that. I'll pour myself out if only it's going to help you get past, fill up, be everything God created you to be. Back to chapter 1. It's so beautiful in verse 9. And it is my prayer, Paul says at the very beginning of this letter, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, check it. That you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is saying, I want you, when Jesus returns, for you to be standing there, not only pure and not in trouble, but like filled with the fruit of righteousness. And if I need to pour out my life on you to be fuel, to be fertilizer, for you to bring out the fruit to be able to present to your Jesus, I'll do it in an instant. In a very real way, Paul is looking at them going like, I will do anything to see a crop of the fruit of God and the worship of Him so that when Jesus returns, we're looking at each other and we're going like, isn't this great? All the sacrifice, all the work, all the tilling of the ground, the planting of the seeds, the watering, the, the sacrifice, the love for one another, the love for God, the honoring Him above all. It has brought about this beautiful life where I am proud to stand before Jesus, not just not ashamed. And this is what Paul gives his life towards. And this is what a pastor gives his life towards, to offer genuine care. John 10.10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says this about shepherds. The thief, speaking of shepherds and thieves, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Whether we know it or not, different individuals that we know, we love, or even in this room, have experienced shepherds who were not here to give life, but to take. They were not to offer, but to steal. They were there for their own agenda, not the agenda of Jesus, nor the well-being of those whom they followed. And that is tragic. The heart of God breaks over that because it's the inversion of what a shepherd is supposed to look like. It's the opposite of what a pastor leader should look like, a taker instead of a giver. Therefore, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, I would throw in there, he who is a career Christian, not a called shepherd, he who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep. And he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Oh, what the story of so many people that we know and love who Jesus died for have been abandoned when they needed someone most. They've been condemned when they should have been embraced. They've been cast out when they should have been brought near. They've been overlooked when they were in need, when they weren't a benefit to the person in, in charge or the organization. They've just been kicked to the curb. How sad. Like, can we just have an honest moment? Like, Strawn Coleman in his 
book I mentioned earlier said that he thinks it's a greater miracle when in the church people demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and goodness, self-control and faithfulness than it is to see someone healed from an illness or brought back from the dead. And he grieves the fact that it is more seldom sometimes. People don't leave churches typically because they don't agree. They leave churches because they haven't received love. They've been mistreated. They haven't been cared for. No one was shepherding their soul. Philippians 2.25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister of my need, for he has been longing for you because he was distressed that you heard of his, that he was ill. Church in Philippi, they hear Paul's in jail and he's going without and they're like, oh shoot, we like Paul. We don't want Paul to think we hate him. It's going to get awkward if we see him again. And so they send Epaphroditus, which is one of their leaders. He says, all right, we're going to send Epaphroditus. We're going to get a little money together and we're going to send him on. Epaphroditus, go to Paul, take the journey. And so he's taking the journey. He's carrying quite a bit of money and so he's probably not alone. And so on the journey, somehow he falls ill. And they've entrusted to, to this guy, like their honor as a church is entrusted to Epaphroditus because they had an obligation somehow to Paul to take care of him. Paul mentions as much in, in this text when it goes on to say, Indeed, I, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him to you, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what has been lacking in your service to me. Church in Philippi, go, go to Paul, take our money. And he's like, okay, I thank you for the money. You can trust me. I will do what you cannot the whole church can't take a journey to Paul to prison. And so they're like, okay, you go. And he's like, okay, I'll do my part. You've done your part. He's a pastor, so he's broke. And so he's going to carry the money for the other people to Paul. Uh, that was, you know, that's fine. <clears throat> uh, and so he's taking it, and somehow he gets sick along the way. And on the journey, word gets back to the church in Philippi. This is likely what's going on here. Some people think he was homesick. Like, why, do you, why does he care that the church in Philippi was worried that he got sick? Like, is there like some unhealthy like uh, codependency going on? I don't think that's what it is. I think they were trusting him to carry out a task that they cared deeply about. And so he gets sick and word gets back to Philippi. Oh no, Epaphroditus has gotten sick. And so Epaphroditus is like, oh shoot, they're going to think that I like failed at my task. Honor and shame is huge in this culture. So if you are unable to carry out the task that you've been entrusted to, shame. It's like, it, it, it's a big deal. More than I can explain in two minutes. And so Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, I'm going to send uh, Epaphroditus back with you, and I want you to receive him. He is a leader among you. Do not be ashamed of him. He carried out his very task he was sent for. If you fast forward to chapter 4, verse 18, it says that he was sent with an offering to take care of his needs, and he had fulfilled his purposes fully. Paul is acknowledging that, just like Timothy, Timothy's worthy of your respect, worthy of your honor. Don't look down on Epaphroditus. Many think that Epaphroditus was not only supposed to deliver this cash money, but he was supposed to hang out with Paul and give him some company as well. And so when Paul looks at Epaphroditus, he's like, thanks for the money, don't need your company. Uh, head on back because uh, I want you there first. It could make him look like he was unnecessary or that he had been shamed in some way by either not being helpful to Paul or a failure in delivering the goods that he had been entrusted to do. Sorry, that was kind of a lot of like historical weird stuff, but can you track? So Guy comes back and he's like, 
uh, yeah, I was supposed to be a big deal with Paul, but he kind of didn't need me. <laughs> uh, so come on back next week, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep teaching the Bible here. Uh, and so there could have been reason for shame. There could have been reason for people who were sitting in the chairs who were very saturated in a shame-honor society to be like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to listen. Is this guy really a big deal? Like, he didn't, didn't even matter to, to Paul. Like, is he strong enough to be our leader? He got sick on the road. Are you kidding me? It's the Middle East. <laughs> Can't have somebody weak leading us. That could have been the case. Much like Timothy being young could have been reason for people to dismiss what Timothy had to say. And so when Paul says, I'm going to send you two of my guys, and what I want you to know more than whether you think Epaphroditus is some powerhouse of the kingdom or not. He is worthy of your honor because he risked his life for your sake. Man, he almost died. And somebody who will almost die to help accomplish what you are trying to do, that is somebody worthy to trust. If they're willing to lay their life down and and pour themselves out to fill up what what you have been unable to do apart from them, that person is worthy. You see, this is where sacrificial service becomes the pinnacle of pastoral ministry, I believe. Where a pastor is not intended to be the top of the heap. Okay? Okay? And I know this is default for lots of people's mentality in the West. It's like, okay, we're going to put a church together so that pastor's ministry can be influential. Right? So that the guy up there can do the stuff and it'll be good. That's upside down in the kingdom. The kingdom is actually pastors supposed to be underneath. Like laying my life down to go like, What is it you're doing? What is your calling? What are your passions? What has God made you for? And how can I offer the bit that I have to kind of get you over the line? How can I help you articulate, clarify, understand what your calling is? Church, what do we want to do together? What are we called to? What is the Spirit like stirring in our souls? And I'm sure that you're going to add some, you're going to add some, you're going to add some. We're all going to come together. But there's going to be a little like holes in the bottom of the thing. And I'm going to be like, all right, how do I come alongside of this and just be a free agent? You know what I'm saying? Or a free safety? Chris, did I say that right? flexible. It is my joy to serve you. You are my work. All I want to do is to see you thrive. And just like Paul, just like Jesus, who didn't hold tight, but Jesus was willing to empty himself, becoming a form of a servant, even to the point of death. And Paul was willing to say, even if I have to pour myself out as a drink offering so that you may become rich in good works, become everything you're supposed to. There's some beautiful language within this closing verse spoken of Epaphroditus. In verse 30, it says this, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete. That word can actually be translated to fill up what is lacking in your service. So much like Jesus poured his life out, became poor, that we may become rich. Just like Paul was willing to pour himself out, that the body may be filled with the fruits of righteousness. So Epaphroditus was willing to cast his life down, risk It's like gambling with dice. He was willing to toss his life to fill up what was lacking in the offering of the church in Philippi. Do you see that there's a pattern? A pattern that God calls me to and us to who have leadership to pour ourselves out, to fill up and build up the church, to support one another, to encourage one another, to see each other thrive. 
So I don't know what it is for you that you need in support of what you've been called to. For some of you, when I say, I'm here to help you do what you've been called to, you're like, I don't know what my calling is. I don't want a calling. I just want heaven. Well, there's some discernment that I can help you with. So maybe me filling up what is lacking in your faith and your ability to offer what you've been designed to offer, maybe you would benefit from sitting with me or your contending community and just listening, having some discernment. Oh, I kind of feel passionate about this. I'd love to see this, but I'm not sure how to get there. Or maybe you need an opportunity or training or encouragement, support, or a clear path. This is ways that we can support one another, that I can support you, as you seek to live a life that you will be proud to offer to God as Christ returns. So, sacrificial focus, sacrificial care, sacrificial service. I pray that you will always have somebody in your life willing to lay themselves down to see you become everything God sees you to be here and now. Amen. Okay. Thoughts? Just take a minute and settle into that for a sec. John, you want to join me up here and we'll kind of open up to a little bit of dialogue. Um, I'll encourage, if you do share, please feel free to, how this strikes you. Um, we don't need to get too personal, I guess, maybe in this setting, because there is some raw, raw, raw bits for some, I'm sure. John. Hello. Just a light topic. Nothing important. <laughs> so, um, as we were kind of discussing in our pre-service prayer, I still feel like it's a good, good thing to also address at the same time. Because I know, yes, a lot of people here have experienced hurt from spiritual leadership. And this could also apply to business leadership or, you know, in your life, people that you've entrusted to care for you. Um, it can be really easy when we go through that to then look like the world at the same time to seek and desire for someone's fall or that leader's fall, uh, to see them get their comeuppance, as it were. So how do we make sure that we safeguard ourselves from becoming more like the world rather than looking like the church and praying for that person's redemption? I think it's a complex, and I want to hear from you guys. I, I try not to be the first one to answer, but I do want to just chuck this in, is we have to become wise. Um, being godly doesn't mean that we are naive. Um, we're told to be called, we're called to be um, wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And so there's this element that... Um, different authors have talked about of like remembering, but remembering in a way that doesn't um, doesn't corrupt us. So you can forgive somebody, but still remember that they're dangerous to be around. Does that make sense? Forgiveness doesn't mean like everything goes back to normal. Like I've had to forgive leaders, but I wouldn't trust them with some of my personal stuff now. Um, and so you can, that's, it's hard because I, okay, I'll I've struggled to pray for people that have injured me for their blessing. It's hard. And I've had to wrestle with that element of like, justice is the Lord's. I don't want blessing on something that's damaging others. And so um, I've had to wrestle with that, like praying for them to be transformed more than just like bless them. Because it's probably the same thing, 
but blessing has to come through transformation. Do you know what I mean? Um, there are people in leadership who shouldn't be, you know? And so I, that's where my thought runs out. Somebody else say something. Help, help me, please. It's hard. John, can you restate your question? It's, it's kind of long. So. Yeah, how do we not, in those moments of pain, how do we not be like the world in seeking their destruction? How do we be more like Christ in seeing their redemption through their failing? Because it can be really hard. Actually, it can be really easy to look like the world in those situations. And that's also speaking from personal experience as well. Yeah. And it's been a long journey not to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, in my personal journey, what has been helpful and beneficial to me is understanding that each situation is different and each situation and experience and hurt requires the Holy Spirit's discernment and guidance and words. And sometimes it looks like speaking the truth in love and gentleness and care. Other times it looks like I mean, Jesus walked this out in many different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes he was gentle, and um, his approach was so inviting and warm. And there was other moments where when people were damaging and hurtful ongoingly to his sheep, where he spoke the truth um, in a way that probably would have hurt my feelings if he would have been speaking to me, but he was being honest and um, protecting the people that he loved, loves. And so I think that that's where I go back to, like, I don't want to look like the world, and the only way I know how to do that is, like, walking moment by moment in step with the Spirit and asking the Spirit, like, what are you asking me to do? I will obey, whatever that looks like. But without the Spirit, I know that I will look like the world. Hmm. I like that. I think there's a necessity to just, for me even to go like, okay, Jesus, how do you view this person? You hate what's happened. You long for wholeness. And you don't want this to continue. And so in that way, it's like, God, I just, I invite you into this space. You know what I mean? But we never want to get to the place where we're just like, and this is, oh, this is so hard. To not just view the person in light of what they've done, that they become their sin. Because that's when we depart from viewing in the way that maybe Christ does. I know that God, like, is frustrated. Um, it brings my attention to Ezekiel 34. Um, it says, "Ah, shepherds of Israel. And this is, if you know the story, this is when um, the shepherds over Israel were not taking care of the people of Israel. Uh, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not you have fed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force uh, and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no sheep. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them. There's like this anger that the Lord is, calls out. Do you know what I mean? So it's, God doesn't just not care. Like if one of us or any of the leaders were to be evil towards one of you, God would not be okay with that. He would hate that. He would stand against me in that. And I would rightly be the recipient of his, like, pushback. Um, I don't know. Did, I, did we go into a cul-de-sac? Or? No, I, I think to reiterate what you had mentioned is it's important for us even in those situations, to make sure that we're praying that the Spirit brings transformation in their lives 
because we wouldn't wish that on our worst enemy. The wrath of God to come down on them. We wouldn't wish that on, on them because even though they did, yes, they wronged us in a way, there was still relationship, there was still love that was shared. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for us to be praying for yeah. their spiritual transformation and to then become the leader that they were actually originally called to, not to take the path of Saul. Because it's really, you know, you say you wouldn't wish that. Well, sometimes we do wish that in our own evilness of our heart. And when the spirit isn't, hasn't done his work to, to work, you know, we haven't allowed that or there hasn't been time to have that healing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we, we recognize that depending on the depth and level of hurt, sometimes it's going to take a long time to be at that place where you can honestly pray for that other person. It, um, Maybe not for their blessing, but for their, you know, whatever that other word was you said. But just for their healing and their, you know, and I, and also sometimes when it's a leadership position, especially in the church, one of my prayers has been that the veil, that their, you know, the yeah. veil will be removed. Truth. That That people will see things that maybe are sometimes hidden. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know, I guess it's just kind of like giving ourselves grace that sometimes it's going to take a while to get to that place where we can honestly pray. Um, and if we can't do that, we have to recognize that there's healing that the Spirit needs to do within us, and we have to actively seek that. Yeah. We can't just sit in it and you know wait forever until that person changes or whatever, because yeah. that shows where our heart has not been made right before the Lord. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize that there's like... Uh, especially in the language of narcissism, like these are serious cases where you walk away like damaged, like I have been damaged and I've had to work with a counselor through some of the things to unweave some of what has been kind of spoken or implanted. And so you need to give yourself some real acknowledgement if there's been some significant pain done. And our church is known for doing uh, mending the soul with, uh, with some... Uh, healing that we can work through some spiritual abuse but it's one of the most damaging things is if you've been healed by or you've been hurt by a spiritual leader yeah i mean this kind of came to mind and it it might hurt some people here but in walking through things like that in my own life we never want to look at ourselves like we all have fall short fall short we all have become maybe more codependent or trusting in ways that that maybe we could do better maybe we've uh, whatever it is but i think there's some strength that in prayer like what is my role in this like like where have i not stepped up maybe at the early stages of whatever this event or situation was where i should have um Where's my heart and why, you know, where am I? Maybe what did I do to feed into this perhaps? Just that self-awareness to go, to be able to honestly hear from God and take on some sense of responsibility, not in terms of blame, but in your ability to respond appropriately in that situation. Mm. Without self-awareness, it's always other people and at least, and God, God can direct us accordingly to take the ability to respond in the way he would call us to. Mm, yeah. So we're delving a little bit into more like the therapeutic element of, of healing. And so I try to know, my, know the line. And I would just encourage you, if, you've str- if you're having a hard time or you're working through some pain, like please like share that with your contending community group leader, share it with me, and we'll try and help you figure out the best way to work towards healing um, because the order is really important of acknowledging that there has been injury that's taken place. It's actually a really important step. Um, and then as you work through it to be able to figure out the ins and outs, and it's, 
you need help. You need people to walk through that with you. So, anybody else? I just add along with what you were saying, Greg, that um, I agree that there's a, there's a humility piece in knowing um, just how much help we need and that we do get hurt and don't act our best, you know, that we're not just some super human that can't get hurt and uh, not respond in their best way and so I think it helps to humanize also others that have hurt you to to remember when you were them when you did some version of that to someone else who's harboring that you know decades back probably and um, at least that helps me to temper my flesh and in response and go, yeah, to have grace. Still working on the wisdom piece of the when to pour out when it's actually going to do what is intended, and you know. Mm-hmm. But that's the that's a humanizing piece for me is to remember what I was saved from and what I looked like then, and that's it. Yeah. Helps us to stay human. Helps to stay soft and present. I'm sure there's more. Uh, you almost look like you have something to say there, Maureen. Do you? Well, on the flip side, um, I know we really focused on being wounded, possibly, you know, in from leadership. But on the flip side, you also addressed, um, you know, the calling of a pastor to serve and to give. And we didn't really focus on that in our discussion. And I think it's really important to know that, you know, a pastor cannot be everything to everybody. And, you know, this is a plug for contending community groups. But still, um, I think it's important for us to realize that the pastor cannot be everything that we expect the pastor to be. And a pastor is human. They're going to fail. They're not going to meet our expectation. And we need to have a real picture of a pastor being a husband, a father, a brother, a son, you know, a regular human being. And um, they're just like us. So I just yeah. wanted to address that. Thank you. I really, that's, that's grace. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I just think that um, kind of along the lines of what Greg and Bethany both shared, like um, I know a lot of us have been hurt. I have been hurt. But I have also been the wounder and I have hurt people over the many years that David and I have been in ministry. And um, when I look at the situations of um, how things have unfolded with others and with myself, I really do try to like see, it, engage and react with how God has been to, towards me. There have been moments where his discipline and his truth have kept me safe. And sometimes that is, the, that is what you speak to a brother and sister. You, you say hard things because it keeps them safe. And there have been other moments where God has um, been more gracious and more loving in his pursuit of me than I even deserved. And um, I just think that as we look at this as a whole, like, it is important to know our part and also to be aware of, like, our humanity. Like, I, we can be gracious with ourselves, but also aware of ourselves that um, we have, we may be the recipients of pain, but we have also caused pain. And that's just part of being human. And what does it look like to navigate that within community? How quick are we to say sorry? How, um, how much time do we spend evaluating ourselves? And um, are we able to honestly speak the truth, even if it could hurt the person that we're talking to, to keep them safe? Um, that, once again, is like um, knowing God and his love and his spirit and his presence, being in step with his spirit and his voice when we're engaging with others, and being brave enough to walk it out in a community. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to just bring this time to a close. Um, but feel free to continue this conversation in your contending communities this week. Um, 
And like I said, life is real, but Jesus is our good shepherd. And we are called into this world. Like Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. The world is like sheep without a shepherd. Pray, therefore, that God will send workers into the harvest. And I believe that's what God is calling us to. It's to set apart what has been, cast what has happened away into the Lord's hands, embrace all the goodness of His care, and then go in His name to share His goodness with others to the best of our ability. Um, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and um, we'll take some time and worship the Lord and observe the bread and the cup, which are the outworking of the Good Shepherd who laid his life down for us through his life, death, resurrection. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. On a day of clouds and thick darkness, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on a rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek, I will strengthen the weak. The fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. I will bind up the injured, and I will bring back the strayed, thus says the Lord. God, we love you and we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Please, would you help us, Lord God, to be of your heart and of your mind that we would love one another with your good love. Thank you, Lord God, that you've given us honorable images, Lord, of those who are willing to sacrifice, to serve, to focus on you above themselves lay their lives down. Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and we just thank you that you claim us as your own. Would we find safety in your care in Jesus' name?